The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of this Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined by Star Sport Editor Kieran McCarthy. Before we kick things off, I'd just like to give a gentle reminder to our listeners and viewers to please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you in association with our friends at Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, where your bank really does matter. Choose the credit union, choose local, choose community. Since February 2019, when we launched the Star Sport Podcast, it has been our mission to bring the most in-depth and comprehensive coverage of the West Cork sporting universe to you, the great people of the West Cork sporting community. We've interviewed Olympic gold medalists, Irish soccer internationals, horse racing legends and everything in between. And somehow we've managed to keep it going for almost four years. And today to mark the 200 episode of the show, we're delighted to be joined by West Cork sporting royalty in the form of Cork and Bantry Blues legend, Graham Canty. Canty is the last West Cork man to lift the Sam Maguire Cup and he's been chatting to Kieran about his career, his life in the GAA and of course the small matter of the intermediate county final between Bantry and Canturk. But Kieran, before we throw to your chat with Canty, and I promise ladies and gentlemen we won't delay for too long because it's Graham Canty. Some reflections on reaching the 200 episode milestone. Who wants to hear from me when Graham Kent is just waiting just in a couple of minutes away? But um, just take over what you said, Jack. Yeah, a huge achievement, I think, to a huge milestone for the Star Sport podcast to reach 200 episodes. Did we ever think when we started out that first day actually in this studio? Um, what is it, February 2019? Is that four years ago? Jeez. It will be in February coming, so. My God, like that, that seems that seems a world away. Like the world has changed since our, 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 our first Star Sport podcast. And I think we had a, an interview with Phil Healy on that first podcast after the, the Westcock Sports Star Awards. But here we are, 200 episodes into the podcast. And the beauty is this podcast is getting bigger, better and stronger. Anyone who will see this Thursday, Southern Star, we have a, a story about the podcast and it shows that our listenership is actually growing. We're up 20% in the last six months. And that's that, thanks to our listeners as well, that more and more people are tuning in to this to this podcast. And it's just it, it's just going from strength to strength to strength. But that's all thanks to Jack, to the West Cork sports people. If they weren't doing what they were doing, if we didn't have these incredible stories, we wouldn't have these people to chat to and talk about week after week and we're just so lucky this is a golden era for for West Cork sports um, anyone that saw the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago uh, Mick Foley a friend of the show who, who we, we've had on this podcast a few times um, he likened the Southern Star Sports Department to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because we're just spoiled for for the riches of West Cork sport from, from road bowling to rowing, from soccer to rugby, from athletics to to kickboxing. We've had them all on, on the podcast and 
the beauty is that there'll be another 200 episodes because there's so much going on in West Cork sport right now. Sometimes our, our, our problem, Jack, is to see who, who can we fit on this week's podcast. You know, kind of sometimes it's a hard editorial decision to say, okay, we can't fit A on this week, but we can do this such and such a thing. So the, re- the reality is, we probably have enough uh, West Cork sports stories to tell that we could bring out two or three podcasts a week and we still wouldn't be able to fit everyone on. That, that's exactly it. And it just shows, like I said, this golden era. Golden era in, in West Cork right now and long may it continue and the beauty is if you see the next generation coming up like um, I suppose the, the good news for the podcast listeners is that there's going to be loads of interviews and loads of podcasts to come the bad news is you're going to have to listen to our ramblings for the next 200 episodes so um, you, have, you, have to, you have to take the, the, the bad with the good sometimes but no it's just a huge just delighted that we've reached this this milestone and also say thanks to our sponsors Access Credit Union they, uh, they came on board with us this is a a good while back now as sponsors they saw the potential in the in the star sport podcast they, they could see what we were what we were doing they could see it's a local brand here in the southern star promoting local sports people local sports stories and it's just two strong local brands have come together and what we have now is we have a really really strong star sport podcast backed by access credit union so this is this is another west cork success story okay it's not on the the scale of the skibbering wars winning <laughs> olympic gold medal not quite. Not quite. Or battling bullet, Phil Healy competing at three, um, at three events at the One Olympics. Or even the St. James's footballers winning the, the Carby Junior A Football Championship this year. But I, I still think it's, it, it's a success story that we, that, that we need to kind of celebrate ourselves. And we could even see this year, like we've been nominated for a local Ireland Media Award for um, Best Use of Digital, which is almost a testament um, to, to what we're doing on this podcast. So um, I think, yeah, long, we've 200 episodes in, but there's much more to come. Yeah, and who better to mark our 200 episode than the man, the myth, the legend, Bantry Blues and Cork legend. I've used that word several times now. Well, he deserves it. Oh, he's, he's a legend. Of. So let's not waste any more time. Let's hear from the man himself. It's Graham Canty. There's only one place to start this chat, and it's with Bantry Blues back in a first adult county final since 2001. That's 21 long years ago. So Benji will take on Conturk in the Cork Premier Intermediate Football Final on Sunday, October 23rd in Parky Cueve. Huge occasion for the club, huge occasion for the town. So Graeme, how important is it for Bentry to be back in a final like this? Yeah, it's uh, it's great. It's great, you know. Um, we went down to the game there, we went down to the semi-final there at the weekend. Uh, great battle against Evlera. Two good teams going out of alone. The man my pitch in super condition, big crowd there and everything, you know, if Lear there gave it everything, Bantry gave it everything. Bantry just about managed to get out on top, but what it means to the town and what it means to the club, I think is great. You know, 21 years since young lads or old lads or whatever you want to call it, had burnt here around the town for a county final, you know, uh, an adult county final. So their, their adult team, their top adult team, looking forward to a county final. It was 21 years ago that we had it last like, but look the couple of weeks now leading up to it will be great just the buzz in town I'm sure it'll be building and building and building but you know businesses getting behind it schools getting behind it the whole club driving it and pushing it um, so it's it's uh, it leads to a great build up and hopefully a good day a, a good day come the 23rd but look that's that's secondary at the moment really mm-hmm. I think it's just everyone enjoy the build up really enjoy the buzz as a player yourself, Graham, obviously you played in some huge games with, with Bentry and with Cork. So did you enjoy the build-up to the big games? Did you embrace that fanfare or buzz or did you try and sidestep it all together? 
kind of tried to sidestep it, to be honest with you. Um, it was, you know, it was just the buzz was the buzz. It was, it was great and it was great to be involved. And the bigger the game, that was brilliant. But at the end of the day, you kind of had to, kind of had to go perform and you wanted to perform to try and try and do the best you could for the team. And at the end of the day, you probably wanted to go out and perform and win. Um, so, you know, getting too carried away with the buzz, I was kind of maybe conscious that, that it wouldn't affect your performance. But I think that was probably built into me at a very young age to ensure that it wouldn't. I mentioned Bantry's last county final 21 years ago. That was 2001. It was a loss to Nemo yeah. in the Cork Senior Football Final. We're going to skip that, Graham. I want to keep this chat positive. And I want to talk more about Bantry's two wins in 95 and 98. And I suppose more specifically 98, that big win against Tuhello. You were a young fella, I think. It was your first or second season at adult football. And you won a county senior title. And you were lining out with forces of nature like Damien O'Neill and Mark O'Connor and Mick Moran and you, Terry O'Neill, at the helm. What was it like for a young Bantry fella to look around the dressing room and see those legends of the town and of the club right beside you? Yeah, it, it was it was kind of a bit surreal, but even leading up to maybe 98, I was about 18 or whatever playing that, which was great. But a couple of years previously, Bantry had won the 95, they won the 1995, they won the Senior County in 1995, they won the Intermediate County in 1993. So, it's kind of very impressionable, I suppose, teenager, 13, 14, 15, when all that success was going on and you had all that, I suppose, buzz and everything around the town of, you know, the anticipation of playing in a county final. Mm-hmm. It was happening every couple of years there where you were getting to an adult county final. It was intermediate, 93, it was senior, 95, and another senior, 98. And I think it was kind of that buzz that really kind of got me hooked on kind of football and why I nearly kind of decided to, you know what, I take this a little bit more seriously because, you know, there's a fierce bit of crack that we got out of it. Um, but yeah, 98 was great. You know, it was kind of nearly probably my first proper year in there with the squad or whatever. And they were a very successful squad. They had won an awful lot previously. Even a bulk of them had won an awful lot underage, whether it's gone back minors and 21s and they'd won counties and stuff like that. But yeah, some of them like, you looked around and, you know, you had 20 lads that the vast majority, they were, they were, you know, they were forces of nature. Like they were, they were different. They were different gravy to train with. They were, they had, uh, they had huge drive for, I suppose, for the jersey, for the tone, for winning. And they were hell bent on just winning. They would do anything to win. And I suppose what they did do was train like dogs, train like mm-hmm. animals to ensure that, come match day in that they were kind of prepared and nearly battle hardened from the training sessions that that um that Terry O'Neill and, and Doc Cotter and Flurry Manny and all the gang put us through. Did that almost more than shape you as a footballer then because you entered this environment, like you said, the intermediate title in the senior ninety five and again in ninety eight and you were in with lads who knew how to win county titles and we said like some serious footballers there, some serious characters, some serious men as well. So you were put into that environment and it's it's very much either kind of sink or swim, is it? And you obviously, you swam and you got your place in that team. Would you think that season and those years helped mould the future Graham County that we would have to see with Cork then? Yeah, I think so. But I think, first of all as well, I think it was, I was minded an awful lot. Um, do you know whether it was management or whether it was maybe Shawnee McGrath from a strength and conditioning point of view or any of the players, any, any of the players really, like they were all, a little bit older than me or whatever, whether they were kind of 10 years old or even three or four years old, they all kind of nearly minded you just to make sure that you are settling and that you were, I suppose, enjoying it. And the performances nearly come secondary after that. But I was, uh, I suppose, very quickly, I was made aware of 
how important it was to kind of prepare, prepare well and you have a chance of performing on the day. And, you know, it doesn't happen by accident that that team were performing day in, day out and they were getting results. But that's because of the preparation that they put into it to a man. Um, you know, we're very lucky we had, you know, Sean McGrath from a strength and conditioning point of view. Remember, he kind of pulled me aside when I was even 16 or whatever and to suggest that I do kind of, you know, a bit of strength and conditioning and the word weights was mentioned. Johnny just said, look, you're kind of at the moment, you, you know, you're not going to be lifting weights. Yes, you are going to be doing strength and conditioning, but it's going to be a very, very different program to these 23 and 4 and 5-year-olds. You can train in the same gym as them, but you're going doing completely different stuff. And I used to just join in the core, 10, 15-minute core routine towards the end, but I used to do completely different stuff. Uh, as opposed to the rest of the team that were, they were basically men. I was only a boy at, you know, 16 or 17 even. So uh, it's very much looked after. And uh, I think it, you know, I appreciated it at the time, but it was easy then. It was easy just to settle in and, you know, perform away at, at, um, at that kind of level then. Who oh, some of the fellas saw when you think of that 98 team, some of the footballers that jump out to you that spring into your mind straight away? Uh, straight away, you'd have, I suppose, Mark O'Connor. Mark was always there. You know, always in your ear, always giving you advice before the game, after the game, during the game. And uh, Daisy McCauley then, you'd have Daisy and goal, and Daisy was just always talking, talking, talking to you to make sure you knew where you are, where you are on the pitch, um, making sure that you were settled, making sure that, you know, if you had a shaky start, uh, he would try and make sure you settled into the game. Um, then you'd like to say, you know, Damon O'Neill and Mick Morn. Um, Mick used to say very, very little. Uh, but his just his presence alone, and I think his his leadership, the way he every single training session, you know, he put in a massive graft, a massive shift. He'd run himself into the ground in every game, um, so that kind of thing that you kind of say, well, look, that's what that's what lads responded to. It wasn't maybe, you know, maybe the ten points the likes of Philip Clifford was scoring mm. uh, up the other end of the pitch, which was which was absolutely brilliant. But it was you know maybe the likes of Mick kind of saying, look, you can lead in other ways um, without maybe putting it on the scoreboard, but also just in, I suppose, your actions as well. Like. So on that Bantry team too was your older brother, Jeremy. What was it like to share that journey with him? That was nice, yeah. Uh, at the time, I probably didn't appreciate it, to be honest with you. Jeremy was playing for a couple of years before me already. Um, and you just kind of, you know, you just settled in and kind of trotted away after him like it was doing for for most of my life up to then anyway, just trotting away after him, like whether it was at home or whether it was in the football pitch. But uh, yeah, you just kind of followed him away to training and followed him away to games and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it was it was good. We operated two different sides of the pitch. We kind of played in full forward line the whole time instead of operating around the backs, full back line or the half back line. So um, yeah, it was it was good, yeah. yeah. Like we said there, like there were so many big characters on that Bantry team, there were role models. And I suppose it's really important for young fellas, and you were a young fella coming onto that Bantry team back then, Graham, to have those role models. And then you saw, like like you said, you saw those fellas have success early in the 90s and you wanted to be part of it. So bringing it back forward to the current Bantry group, again, like we said, it's two decades since Bantry were in an adult county final. So for young kids around the club now, young young Bantry Blues footballers, to see the Rory Deans and the Arthur Coakleys back in a county final, like, this has to be good for for Bentry Blues in the long term. Yeah, it's it's great, you know. Um, blow there the weekend, blow on the men uh, It was great to see, you know, Rory coming off the the pitch there, and he had his young lad with him there, and you know he sold her for a long time at Bentry, and she's I'm not trying to write him off now at all. Like he's a lot of years left in him yet, 
But uh, you know, just that little bit of reward having having a final anyway to play in. But you know, the lads will tell you uh, as quick as anyone, like finals are there to be won. Mm-hmm. But um, like they're there, they have a chance anyway. But you know, I played with a lot of those lads there now, uh, say the weekend, and when we were playing, we didn't have huge success. You know, a lot of times, you know, we were we went down a couple of the divisions. We've kind of find our found our feet now. A uh, huge injection of youth as well, even from the started year. You know, even the starting team from the from the weekend, even to the start of the year, it's very very different. You have a lot of young players there. You still have the the more experienced players. They are ready and willing and able to come on. And I'm sure they're you know they're they're setting standards in training and and showing a lot of the younger uh, less experienced lads. You know what it what it is and uh, what it should be to be to be a Bentry Blues player, but um. You know, as I yeah, I was happier definitely for the for the older lads and the more experienced lads. Even some of them there didn't even get on the pitch the weekend, but uh, that didn't matter. Like that didn't matter. They, they didn't hide your joy in the final whistle or the walk off the pitch. Like you could see them, you could see them beaming from year to year. So it was great to see. Oh, it was brilliant to see. And like we're saying in the in the nineties, was a brilliant time for Bantry Blues. And we mentioned two fellas earlier, Doctor Dennis Cotter and Terry Riley. Talk to me small bit, small bit about was the impression that they had on you as a young fella. Yeah, so so Terry O'Neill and, and Doc Cotter, like so. Um two of them kinda got hold of me when I was I suppose well, I suppose Cotter nearly had hold of me since I was more or less born or whatever. Like we kinda moved back to Bentry when, when I was kinda two or three, so Cotter was always um Doc Cotter was always your kind of GP and he kinda marked from kind of GP to to uh, I suppose coach or, or whatever you like so he was yeah coach and manager and everything rolled into one from a kind of football perspective so he was always there he was always he was always in the background from when you were two or three years of age but you were ill uh, as a small baby or whether you were an eagle or whatever from nearly 12 years on so Carter, Carter was always there he was always there for advice he was always there as well to ensure that um, if he ever th- thought you were getting above your station he'd be he'd be he'd be Good to you know tell you a couple of home truths and just rein you in just in case he thought that you were getting a bit too big big for your boots. So he was great that way. And then Terry, Terry kind of Terry was a great leader. Like he had you know he had those lads there in ninety eight and they had won an off lap, but they still had an off lap. They gave and they gave an off lap, but they needed someone to guide them. And I think that's why Terry did. Terry, you know, I suppose steered us all in the right direction with a great team around him. He'd be the first one to say that he had a great team around him. Like, but. Uh, the two of them were very influential, you know, when when I when I was growing up, especially from maybe like so maybe thirteen to twenty one, twenty two, uh, when you were either deciding you do a little bit of football or you know that you do a small bit of football one or the other. I'm going to put you on the spot here now, and this is one that Dennis Cotter would actually enjoy because he's the fellow Graham who told me this story years ago, and I actually asked you it before we met in um, the Oriel House in Ballincollig, which is it was twenty thirteen. What's that? Nine years ago now, and um. I remember I was talking to Dennis Cotter beforehand, and I said, "Will you give me some, some bit of, some bit of info, inside info on on Graham Kenty?" Because I, I wasn't getting anywhere. So he asked me to ask you about your Jack Russell in the night before Bentry's Munster Senior Club semi-final against Mild Rovers in nineteen ninety-eight. So do you want to tell us that story again once more, Graham? I don't really, but look, I suppose <laughs> I have to. Like, but Jesus, like Cotter, like yeah. So anyway, so we were, uh, we wanted to. 98 county and we progressed on into into Munster and we got through one or two rounds so we're playing my Rovers over in Domenway and um, 
on a wet day anyway and the evening before I was you know doing a few bits and pieces in the evening or whatever and just getting ready for bed and I said I'd go out and just put in the dog you know he kind of lock him in at night or whatever just in case mm. he goes straying he was small who Jack Russell I don't know he was probably around, around the place for kind of 10 years or whatever so I was uh, I was pushing him into his little house outside whatever way I kind of pushed him he was kind of cranky the best of times anyway he was nearly cranky since he was about six months old but uh, I kind of pushed him in and whatever way he kind of turned around he kind of snapped for some reason and he just uh, so he bit my finger so it was grand it was, it was easy we only live about a mile from the hospital there we just popped down to the hospital got a few stitches and a small bandage but uh, it was grand it was fine for the next day it was lashing around the next day anyway so you were able to put a little bit of a bandage on and a couple of stitches and you were able to wear your big gloves as usual so it was fine like but uh, Cotter got a great chuckle out of it of course yeah of course he did, yeah. I remember he was telling me that time. He was he was enjoying telling me. He said, make sure you ask Graham that. And looking at that, even that Moyle Rovers game, is that one of the games that you think it's one that got away? Like, obviously, great start with Bentry, but you're thinking of that, the chance to go further in Munster that year, and it just did not work out for Bentry that day. Yeah, it didn't work out, but, you know, 99% of the time when you're beating the day, you're beaten by a better team in the day. Mm. Uh, a lot of things maybe didn't go right for us, maybe leading up to it. <clears throat> In relation to players, you know, picking up knocks or whatever, or carrying knocks and carrying injuries into it. But that's the way it is, you know. We mentioned Cork earlier, Graham, and you 13 years at the top level there. But I want to go straight to one night in particular. That was Tuesday, September 1st, 2010. That's the night you as Cork captain brought the Semaguire home to Bentry. And I, I wrote a big piece in last year's Southern Star about it. And it just struck me like it was one of those never-to-be-forgotten nights from the O'Leary's from Whitty out in the bay when the Cork post was coming in. You were interviewed by Garota O'Leary on stage and just a buzz in Bentry town that night. Um, what are your memories from, from that occasion? And where does it rank for you, Graham? Yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty special, I suppose. Um you know, it was yeah, it was probably one of the one of the highlights of you know my whole footballing career. Really, to be able to, I suppose, bring bring all the lads back to Bantry and obviously bring Sam McGuire back to Bantry. Like Bantry had done so much for me, uh, the town, the club, or whatever. Um, and it was just me maybe having an opportunity to kind of say, you know what? Thanks for all the backing. Thanks for all the support for all the years. Look, here is here are all the lads here's the cup and look we can all enjoy it together because yeah it was great that you know that we as a group kind of won the cup but it's kind of you know it was for everyone really to enjoy and everything you know it wasn't for us to just take and have for ourselves you know you kind of win it for all the people who are kind of close to you and special to you uh, and kind of where you're from so it was it was great to be able to do that and the kind of Tuesday after we won it yeah it was super yeah but as you said even even the witty lads there as we were kind of driving in the bus, the lads were saying, Jesus, who are the lads out and about there with the flares? And I said, they're the witty lads, they're the witty gang, Mick. So, uh, no, it was, it was super, yeah. I'd say the City boys had never seen anything like that before, had they? No, probably not. Probably not. And they were saying, how do you mean out and about? I said, sure. I said, you know, I said, the Larry's, I said, they live over there in Witty. Uh, they were born and bred there, like and they play with Bentry and uh, two or three of the lads there, they, uh, they play with Bentry and still do, like, and um, they said, I said, that's their commute, you know. Um, it isn't like my handy commute, maybe from Bentry up to Cork. Like the lads have to come across the water into training or whatever. So it, uh, you know, it kind of hits home what, what, uh, what effort some people put into just, just to play a game of ball. Like, you know, it means a little bit more than just, you know, strolling across the road maybe to Wolf Town Park. There's, there's a lot of us do, like. That's the stuff of dreams, like a Bentry man bringing the Sam Maguire back into Bentry. And as 
as car captain. And how conscious were you at the time, Graham? And I suppose how conscious are you now that you are and you are a hero and a role model for so many young people, not alone in Benji, but right across West Cork and the county and even further beyond. Were you were you very conscious of that as a player, or even more so when you hung up your boots? Um, not not massively, but you you would be aware that you know um that you know when you put on a Bantry jersey or you put on a Cork jersey that um that you have to act in a particular way or even you know away from the pitch like that you know you you act in a particular way you carry yourself in a particular way because you would you know when you have a Cork jersey on nearly inside you have a Bantry jersey on and you have a Bantry jersey on you represent an awful lot of people from the town not just your family but you know maybe the town town itself as well so yeah, there there is an onus on on you to you know to carry yourself in a particular way. You know, maybe to do your do yourself, your family, and you know where you're from, kind of justice or whatever. Because because of the effort that they put into you, um, it wasn't just by accident that I happened to get maybe a trial there. You know, maybe when I was 16, 17 or eighteen, and played away for Cork for a number of years after it. Um, that that didn't happen by accident. Like there's an awful lot of people in Bantry, including I suppose my family primarily, that put an awful lot of time into me and gave me those opportunities. Um, there are an awful lot of people in life just don't have those opportunities at all. Like, and they're not afforded to everyone either. So I was very conscious of that always, yeah. When you look back at that Cork team that won in 2010, like it's a, what, what a football team. And I think with the passage of time, fans now appreciate just how good that Cork football team um, was and, and was to win the All-Ireland. So looking at it like yourself, No Larry, Pontic Hassan, Alan O'Connor, Pierce O'Neill, Shields, Dunnock O'Connor, Goulding, Kelly, my God, every line in that field had had men and really good footballers. Did you know at the time how, like, coming up to 2010, like, you were so, so close? Like, So what was the, the belief like in, in that team going into that final in 2010? Um, I suppose we were building for a few years before, you know, we you know, we won a number of national leagues. We had a number of monsters under our belt. <laughs> we got a number of, a couple of finals before that, a couple of all-earned finals, a couple of semi-finals. So I suppose being in Crow Park in big games, which which with a lot of things is at stake, it wasn't it wasn't very new to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we hadn't got over the the finish line in relation to an all-earned final, but it was you know it was it was another big game in Crow Park. It was another day where you were. You know, you did everything right. You put everything in place to try and ensure that you performed. And if you performed well, give yourself every chance. It's a good chance you'd win. But nearly that was nearly it. You know, like not trying to throw the kind of thing about the process, but the kind of that was the process. And it was asked to me a couple of times. You know, what would you, what would you, geez, what would you have done if you lost the down that day? The kind of answer is, you do the same again next year. You just, you know, you go back, you work hard, and you come again. You know that's that's what you would do, and look, that's what we did after we won all and We didn't win another one after that group, but you know, in 13, 14, or whatever, uh, 11, 12, 13 afterwards, we did the same things. We knuckled down, we worked hard, and we tried to improve on any kind of couple of weaknesses that we had. But uh, yeah, we didn't win another one. But it was that's really all it was. Like you know, it was give yourself every chance to perform in the day, and luckily enough on the day. Our performance was just about good enough to get over down, yeah. Considering how close Cork came in the years before 2010, when you finally did get your hands on Sam Maguire, was it as good? Did it feel as good as as, as you dreamt it would be, Graham? Ah, uh, yeah, it it was good. It was good, but you know, to be honest with you, very, very, very shortly afterwards that you you know that you won it, you were 
you were kind of nearly looking ahead, <clears throat> wondering and even planning how could you potentially retain it. Like, you know, I think that's that's the way we were kind of hardwired as a team. Um, and that's that's what we kind of did, you know. You had that knee injury in twin. Oh, sorry, you had a knee injury. Then you had a hamstring injury. Was it against Roscommon you picked up in the quarterfinal? So how close were you to actually missing the All Ireland final itself? Like, was it a was it a close call? Was there any point in the build up where you were thinking to yourself, "I'm not going to make it," or was it always in your head, "True hell or high water, I'm getting on that pitch"? No, no, it was. You know, you were. You would only come on the pitch if you had something to offer. Like, you know, if you were, you know, if you weren't fit enough to come on, you weren't going to come on. Um, but I suppose I was, you know, had a discussion with Conor Coon and near the days leading up to the week, a week or two leading up to it or whatever. And you're working away with the medical team, trying to get as fit as you could. See, could you play whatever part you could on the day if you weren't going to play? You were going to be in the group anyway and seeing what support you could give there. But I suppose the last, the last week, things went particularly well. Kind of training went particularly well, and you you were I suppose in shape a couple of days up before that. Yeah, you would you know you tug out or whatever. You know before yeah, I was nervous or whatever to make sure that the body would hold up, the leg would hold up for some part of the game if you were introduced. But had a conversation the night before with Connor Coon and Connor said, "Look, uh, how was the leg?" And you know same kind of conversation we had a number of days before. And I said, "Look, I said it's 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 okay." Um, there isn't a full there definitely isn't a full 70 minutes in it and he said that's fine he said it's no bother he said as you know we're not starting I said yeah yeah of course and um, he said we'll we'll bring you on early enough that if if the injury does flare up again we can take you off again and won't disrupt the team I said perfect job done slept away happy out that night and uh, yeah managed to get in the pitch the next day and uh, did what I could to, to help the team but um, it, it was kind of you know that simple and you know the, the rehab and all that I just left that to Colin Lane and Dr. Khan the medical lads to try and get that right and you were kind of nearly you just did what you were told a number of days a number of weeks up up towards it to make sure that you were giving yourself every chance What was the dressing room like in Croke Park when you went back in as a group with the Sam McGuire in the middle of the room? Yeah it was uh, it was great yeah it was great like uh, it was um, a very very different dressing room to what I'd seen before like I think you know lads were you know, obviously overjoyed, but kind of relieved as well. Um, and you know, a sense of a sense of accomplishment. accomplishment I think, um, you know, the way the way I got there, or whatever. But you know, it it wasn't complete madness either. Like lads were lads were just you know, I suppose content in themselves, content that uh, the bit of hard work had kind of paid off. And um, you kind of you know, you just kind of moved on. Then you know, after that, really. Given what that group achieved in 2010, how how hard, how difficult has it been as a Cork fan now to see what's happened to the Cork football team over the last couple of years? Just having hit those heights again, like in, in Division 2 now, John Cleary's in there now as, as manager. The hope is that he can build a team to get Cork back into Division 1 and back challenging. But as a as a, as a Cork footballer who captained the All-Ireland winning team, is it has it been hard or difficult to just to watch, I suppose, the fall of Cork football in recent times? Yeah, I suppose look, when you look at the lads and you look you look to say the people involved, the management team and the players involved, and you see the effort that they put in, you know, week in, week out, and month in, month out, and year in, year out, the different management teams that have been involved, the different players that have been involved, and you can see their their effort they're putting in, and they're not they're not getting the reward that you know that we would have got with the success that we would have had. Uh, that's tough to take. You know, because I know, I know, and you can see the effort that all oh, the players and management put in. 
but you know it 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 hasn't been good enough to to get to the places where it kind of got the group that I was involved in unfortunately um you know um they're putting in more effort than we did you know they're putting in phenomenal hours phenomenal attention to detail the management team the players are putting in all the effort they can um it's just they're not just getting the rewards you know there's there's a number of things probably to feed into that like there's an awful lot of good teams around now you know teams improve we probably we probably stood still that kind of way for whatever reason um i was lucky enough when i was involved that you know i was involved in a phenomenal group of players there with a lot a lot of the younger lads success under 21 as well um so that kind of came through and bolstered us as well so there's an awful lot of factors feed into it but from what I can see looking in, you know, as kind of an outsider and and as a supporter, it's definitely not from the, the lack of effort by by the, the management and the players. Like, but um things, you know, things just aren't clicking or whatever. Like, you know, it's great to see John staying on and back involved with a good solid management team again uh for next year and it'll be I'm I I'm I'm looking forward to seeing uh the team that John will build now and you know uh, hopefully he'll, he will stick and I'm sure he'll stick with an awful lot of the current group he has work with them coach them and build them into into a force that maybe can you know compete hard for Division 2 next year and see where that brings them You were tired of inter-county football I think it was 2013 but the game has changed an awful lot since then it's evolved yeah. and tactics wise would you like to play in the current football game the way the, way the inter-county game is now or do you think it was better back in, back in your day? Um, I think the last couple of years, definitely it's it's improved from a kind of even as a spectacle or whatever. Uh, I think maybe there for maybe a year or two uh, because of Dublin's dominance. <laughs> a lot of teams thought maybe the only way maybe to compete with kind of a dominant team is completely stacking your defence and not looking at, at any attacking di- dimension. I think Dublin came with such such a force and such a team that, you know, people thought there was no other way to compete. But um when you kind of looked at it and you looked at the template that Mayo looked, Mayo had to try and compete with that very good Dublin team and not to say that they are still still are but like Mayo just took them straight on at football um, it wasn't good enough maybe an all Ireland final day to win it but it was good enough to bring them to replays and run them to, to a point or whatever but um, I'm glad to see you know the likes of Tyrone and a couple of teams since you know that and Galway, you know, the likes of Galway and Kerry, you know, playing that good brand of football, that open, attacking brand of football, like <clears throat> last year's All Ireland final was an outstanding spectacle. Thought to be kind of a little bit, little bit cager maybe for the first maybe 15, 20 minutes, and it was, it was all out attack. Like it was, uh, there was phenomenal attacking scores, like some great defending as well involved in it. Like, but um, you know, that's that's how teams can play football, and you know, I think a lot of the top teams do play football that way, um. It has gone very tactical. Uh, it's gone very tactical. I think, you know, um, you have to be a very, very complete player now to play it because, you know, whether you're in the full back line, you can be pulled and dragged all over the pitch and you have to be able to get up and score. Um, you know, so that's definitely moved on since when I was since when I was playing. Like, you know, you maybe had a couple of different types of players for the different regions in the pitch that you were playing, whereas now, need to be a very complete footballer and I suppose nearly comfortable playing nearly in any position on the pitch and you know your your goalkeeper needs to be nearly one of your best ball players as well You mentioned there Kerry Windy All-Ireland obviously David Clifford hit the headlines tell me what Cork defender from the 2010 team 
would you pick to do a job in Clifford? A marking job, a men marking job? <laughs> um, I suppose we, you know, playing inside as well, like, we would have maybe detailed maybe Noel O'Leary and, and a couple of players, like a couple of, but they would have been more, more than that. They would have been maybe the half hour line. So when you're looking inside, you're probably looking at the likes of maybe Michael Shields, put Michael on him and give him a nice bit of protection inside as well and putting an awful lot of pressure on the, on the ball coming in. But it's probably Shields you would try and, try and put on him and see how Shields he get on. I'm sure he do a good job. All right. Like, but to be, to be a ferocious tussle, I'd say. Even as, as backs and defenders, how much did you enjoy coming up against like, like it's the iconic forwards back in your era, coming up against the, the Canavans and and uh, and who who carried the time, the Crowleys and the Canadas and so on? How much did you relish that, Graham? Yeah, like, you know, I think, you know, you were, you were coming up against, you know, some of the best teams and some of the best players. And it was, you know, how could you acquit yourself? But it was very much kind of a, a team effort. You know, it was never just, geez, away you go there, try and mark Peter Canavan on your own. Or away you go there, you know, try and look after Derek Nade or my Frank Russell or, you know, when you move Gooch. on there, the Gooch or, you know, Sean Cavanagh or whatever. Like, um, it was it was very much like, yeah, you're, whoever is going to tag him today, but it's a team effort around it as well. You know, you're going to try and limit maybe the, the amount of supply ball into them. Even the ball that goes into them, ensure that there's a bit of pressure. <clears throat> ensure that you know when they do get the ball that they've only one opportunity they can only take the player on on one side or whatever that you have a covering defender coming across same things as all good teams are trying to do now but tactics have kind of moved on as well where you know everyone's trying to create that one-on-one um, you know that a sweeper can't sweep everywhere but uh, it's it's interesting to see it was you know I went up to the All-Ireland final this year it was, it was brilliant to watch the likes of Clifford and, and uh, Shane Walsh and they were obviously being heavily heavily marked and and heavily watched but still able to because the skill and the talents they have be able to kick massive scores from you know from distance some of them from distance some of them not from not from huge distance but at at, at tight angles and stuff so it was a uh, it's great to watch you know in the flesh how much do you enjoy going to different games so obviously you go to the bench games like you said there you went to the all-ireland final would you try to get around as many games as you can go taking a few court games if possible I do, yeah, I do, but to be honest, I don't get uh, probably as many as I'd like to, just with whatever, you know, you just kind of things on, you know, you choose to maybe do other stuff in, with life or whatever, but um, yeah, I try to get as many league games as I can, I try to get nearly all the, maybe the home league games or whatever, and the venture games, then you might get, to be honest with you, you might get maybe an odd league game in and you get maybe all the championship games, but uh yeah, you try, you know, even the odd county championship game, you try and get out and watch it just even as a neutral or whatever. Sometimes you see an awful lot more going to a game as a neutral, whereas when you have, you know, maybe skin in the game, because sometimes when you skin in the game, you're trying to catch and kick every ball and you don't really take a whole lot in. All, you, all you're focused on is just the result, the result, the result. But when you're there as a neutral, you can maybe, I don't know, sit back and kick back and take in everything that's going on a little bit easier. You step back from club football eventually. I think it was was it the start of twenty seventeen or, or or twenty eighteen. How do how I'm always interested for former footballers when you do step back and retire. How do you fill that void? Like, had you pangsed in during that season to say, Jesus, I want to lace up these boots and get back out there again, or were you very happy, Graham, with the the, the the decision you made to say, no, enough is enough. It's my time to step away. Yeah, I think I think at the time it was just the right time or whatever it was. You know, you would you know you were getting busy with work and busy with the family and um, you know you had a couple of kind of miles in the clock and 
<clears throat> few things you can kind of move around, but kind of trying to take the miles off the clock, you kind of can't do that or whatever. And the body was kind of telling you one or two things that, you know, maybe, maybe now was the right time, you know, maybe just to hang them up. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky. I have no ache or pain now. And I can kind of, you know, a couple of injuries that you had, they kind of all cleared up, you know, during your playing days or whatever. So it, it was just kind of the right time or whatever. But, uh, but you missed it still, you know, you still miss it hugely. I still miss, I think, maybe competing or whatever. I think when I packed up into county, it was just very natural. Just you were just playing football anyway. Happened to be playing into county football and club football together. But when you stopped kind of playing into county football, you just played more club football. It was just the same thing. It was just you took up football first day just to play it. You just happened not to be playing into county, so it didn't really matter. So that transition was simple. Yeah, you just played away football. You were still playing football, but after I gave up kind of playing club football. You just weren't playing any more football, so it was a, it was a different, uh, a different dynamic, and definitely missed, missed being involved and missed kind of competing, um, whether it was just competing in a game or competing at training, and maybe just maybe testing yourself against, maybe a lot of the younger lads or maybe some of the some of the better, um, older lads to see how you were getting on, especially if you were getting on in years, but uh, missed that competing stuff, and uh, you know you probably probably won't compete in anything else. You know, ever again to that kind of level, any of that standard. But uh, um, it was, it was, you know, it was great at the time. But uh, definitely something I still miss. Yeah. I remember once you told me about, like, obviously you gave a lot the football. But you said football gave you a lot more. I, I presume that's in terms of friendships, fun, the enjoyment. You know, is that is that what you take away from the sport as well? Okay, put the medals to one side, but the friendships that you made with, obviously, with the Bantry lads and the Cork lads, the, the fun times, the highlights, the experiences, are the memories that you'll carry with you from your football time. Ah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I was lucky enough when I was young that I was brought up to World Town Park and Bantry to play a bit of football. And I continue playing it um, ever since then, you know, 30 plus years later, I was still playing it. But <clears throat> the only reason I played it was because I enjoyed it. The little bit of success and all that was great or whatever and probably helped the enjoyment. But along the way, I played a little bit of inter-county and finished up at the club. But, um, you know, it was just because you enjoyed it to continue playing it. It wasn't all the success or the the lack of success or whatever. It was just the pure crack and the, the pure, I suppose, um, fulfillment you got out of, you know, throwing your lot in every year. And, you know, all, most of the time it didn't work out. You know, you didn't, you didn't win the championship. You didn't win the league. Uh, but it was just that sense of fulfillment. You know, you tried your best. And yeah, you came up short, you came up short. Sometimes you did, sometimes you didn't. But, it was uh, it was just that that enjoyment and that crack that you got over that you kept playing. And even since you step back from club football, I still haven't seen you join social media. There's no Graham Kenty on Twitter or Instagram. Can expect it anytime <laughs> soon. No, I'd say, Kieran, if I if I didn't join at this stage, I'll say I'll leave it off. No, I never never looked, never really got into social media, or whatever. Um, it wasn't it wasn't massive anyway when I was you know playing that bit of football or whatever, and <clears throat> even then towards the end of just didn't really bother it was uh it was uh it was something that you know it was <clears throat> probably more hassle more than anything it was um it was something I could do without and the way I kind of took an approach was you know if was it going to help my performance or not come Sunday I just kind of said no so I said I'd leave it off like I'm going to bring this conversation back to Bentry Blues before before as as we finish up and you mentioned Rory Dean after the game against um the, the county semi-final there that he had his young fella on the pitch and you were actually friends with, with Henry Dean Rory's dad and 
Rory was telling me before, Rory's prized possession, his prized jersey, Graham, is your 2009 All-Ireland final jersey that he has from that, that game against Kerry. And it, I think it just shows, I suppose, the, the connections in, in club football, kind of from Henry to Rory to, to, to his, his young kid now. And it, it just makes it so special. And it just what brings the club and the community together, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, it's, you know <clears throat> Rory's dad there, Henry. Um you know, when I was going with the club, for probably as long as I can remember, Henry was out there. He was always involved with some team, <clears throat> some underage team that needed that little bit of help um, that probably were guaranteed to win nothing. But Henry was still getting involved with them. You know, he wasn't chasing success. He wasn't looking for the next big banter team. He was looking just to put the shoulder to the wheel to ensure that uh, any of the young lads coming through in Bantry had a team to play with, facilities to play with, and would get some enjoyment out of the game. And uh, you know, Rory Rory didn't lick it off the stone either. Like it was it was Henry kind of put a bit of platform in, in place for him as well and expose him to the, the great game of, of you know Gaelic football or whatever and hurling. You know, Rory plays both of them as well. Like so um, you know, Rory was very lucky that he had Henry to provide that for him. And you know, I was very lucky as well to have Henry in my life for so long. And even when you were playing or whatever, like Henry would always contact you when things were going bad. But when things are going well, you'd never hear from him. He'd always let you alone. So when you're after coming off the loss of a bad loss or a bad game or whatever, Henry would always shoot you a text or give you a call or see how things were going. And he talked nearly everything about football. He'd be just checking in just to see what the crack is or whatever. Like uh, but he was um he was very aware that way. Like, you know, he was very in tune with, you know, what was going on and very in tune with maybe when lads might be a bit down or whatever, like, but you know, I think he probably gave a great balance as well. Maybe not to get too high after after a win, not to get too low after a loss or whatever. Just put a little bit of balance and things like. And sort of for the final question, Bantry Blues can torque huge, huge game for Bantry. The hope is they'll, they'll get back up to the senior football, and it is a hope too, Graham. If they can do that, they'll just inspire the next generation. Like we said earlier, like the the the, the lads in the nineties inspired the young footballers around Bantry. Is, is that the hope that? That this win, touch wood, will get the Bentry train moving again. Look, I think to be fair to the lads, even what they've done already, you know, by by getting to a county final, I think they they have and they will inspire a lot of young lads, you know, in town, you know, maybe say, you know what, football, it's a bit of crack, or whatever. I'm going to really buy in, and you know, I'm going to throw my lot in and see where it goes. But um, I think they've kind of done that already. Um, irrespective of the result, um, you know we have a better chance maybe of winning if one or two of the Walshes maybe weren't available the next day. But um, you know um, that that probably won't happen. Like, but um, you know, can talk of a f- phenomenal side. Like, you know, they've you know they're they're dangerous all over the pitch. Uh, be very friendly with Aiden there, Aiden Walsh or whatever. And you know, you have you have. Brother Tommy and all, all the cousins there as well. Like they're they're you know they're a force in nature as well. And um, like you know, Bentry will have to come. They'll have to come with their A game. And you know, if things go right in the day, you know, you wouldn't know there might be might be um county success coming back to Bentry. But you know, it's it's a big ask and a, a big ask of the team. But I'm sure they leave no stone unturned in in preparations for the game. And you know, even just getting there and. Having 13, 14, 15 year olds an opportunity to go up to Parky Cueve and support their team in the pitch on county final day. Like, I think the team have even done that alone, just inspiring lads to maybe drive on and see what success and what enjoyment I think that they can get out of wearing a Bentry Blues jersey. 
That's a great point, Graham, because like they've won four games in a row for the first time, four championship games in a row for the first time. And Jesus, you're probably going back to back to 98, I would think, or or sorry, 2001. So it, it has got the train moving, you know, and hopefully it'll 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 um, it'll leave the station up in Cork on on Sunday and heading back down to West Cork with a cup in in touch wood and that. But you've been so so kind with your time, Graham. Thank you so much, a gentleman as always. No bother at all, Karen. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks very much. The Star Sport Podcast is brought to you by Access Credit Union. Access Credit Union, funding dreams for over 50 years. Oh, what a man. What a hero. And again, what a legend. Thanks a million to Graham Candy for joining us for our 200 episode. I couldn't think of a better person to celebrate it with. But Kieran, back to our regular schedule now because we have to look at this week's star sports section even though we've reached a milestone the machine just keeps whirring on and on it just and never on. stops it never stops like we're already planning our 201st star sport <laughs> podcast episode so that just shows you here in star sport hq it like jack said it just never stops so this week's sports section again it's action-packed um i've uh, my own column is and uh castle 11 ladies they're incredible rise from from junior c up to senior in the space of four years so talking to a couple of people involved in that huge weekend coming up in the county junior a football championship we've st james's are out in action bearers or bearer representatives orhan are, are playing as well so we've caught up with with both ahead of this weekend and, and Matthew Hurley has a really good piece with St James's with a couple of the players involved um, Kevin O'Brien and so on because what St James's did this year was brilliant they won the, the Carberry Junior A for the second time in four years and um, it was a team that was I wouldn't say they were written off but they weren't in the in the conversation at the start of the season they weren't I suppose put down a series contenders because we had the likes of Cora, we had we had Mary's, we had Kilmackaby, but St James's were waiting in the long grass and by God did they pounce to win the to win the, the, the junior A. So we have that and we've all the usual bits and pieces as well. So it's 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 a really strong sports section. So do what you do on Thursday morning, go and get the star. And if you can't go to the shop for whatever reason, don't forget you can subscribe online. Just go to www.southernstar.ie forward slash epaper and subscribe on your computer, tablet or smartphone for less than €2 Euro per week. Kieran, finally, before we wrap this 200 episode, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Any particular highlights from the 200 so far that you'd like to point listeners in the direction of? Any standout additions? Possibly the one that we were nominated for the award as yeah, you see, alluded to? I think we spoke about this in the podcast a few weeks ago like that. For, we were nominated in the Local Ireland Award for our Olympic coverage that was back last year and that was one of the best days I've ever had working in the Southern Star. It was the Thursday after Paul and Finton had uh, had won the Olympic gold and it was just mayhem here in the office. One of those those days that go 100 miles an hour but you just have to react. It was such a reactive day so myself and Jack, we did a live podcast from Skibbereen Rowing Club itself upstairs there in the kind of the, the the boardroom area and then later that day we went out to Fintan McCarthy's his home and had a chat with his uh, his family his his mom and dad uh, Sue and um, and, uh, and and Tom and his brother 
Jake and sister Caitlin. So that was that was a brilliant day. It's one of those days where you realise we're so lucky to do the job that we do because we were just in the middle of the biggest sports story in the in the country at the time. But there's been so many great podcasts over the years, so many, so many good chats. And even thinking of Larry Tompkins, that big, remember that big long chat with Larry Tompkins? And that was a hundred episodes ago. And that's one of those podcasts that you can dip back in, take in. And that's one of the great things with the the Star Sport podcast for, let's say, if you're someone listening to this podcast for the first time, first thing I'll say to you, what we do for the last 199 episodes, because you've really missed out. But the good news is, if you just go on to southernstar.ie forward slash sport, we have a Star Sport podcast tab there, and we've all our podcasts up there. And it's actually worth some time just going on the website, scrolling down through, because you can hop back in and listen to some of the great guests we've on over the years. And I suppose even some of the, the contentious ones, Jack, remember we'd kind of hurrying on during during lockdown I'm not sure what lockdown it was but he was um, he made a comment about Jack Grealish that was that was picked up by the BBC it Sky was Sports Sky News. Sports it just shows that I think it made the news in Turkey I think it did even some French website picked it up as well so it just shows that even though the Star Sport podcast it's it's very much a West Cork podcast that the big boys are listening to us <laughs> Sky Sports are keeping tabs they're, they're saying what are those two boys in West Cork who are they talking to this week and what are they up to but we've had some some great guests over the years and I even remember with Tony Stevenson here before actually in, in this studio years ago um, he was a world kickboxing champion and, and, and that's always one that stood out to me because he was just so open and honest and raw in, in, that, in, in that interview and again that's one you can hop back in but whether it's Fintan McCarthy and Jake again in the studio years ago before Fintan did did what he did, or Darren McEtheny or Phil Healy, or even if it's uh, Orla Cronin or Martin O'Brien or Orla Finn, like it's going to name all two hundred here. Yeah, but it's it's just incredible the amount of local sports people we've on. So I would actually recommend for people just go and look look on the website and just look at who we've on and even hop in and, and and listen to some of the chats again because they stand the test of time. Yeah, and just two that I want to mention as well one that I really enjoyed at the time was Patrick Harrington what about oh, multiple time major winner who has that. strong connections to Barry he sat down with Kieran for a wide ranging interview during I guess one of the lockdowns as well wasn't it so I'd look for the one with Patrick Harrington and, and he, was, he was actually very good I was told like 20 minutes with him and if people look back at that interview it definitely went I'd say 40-45 oh, minutes Patrick when he gets going ah oh, he was just an absolute joy and then he just kept talking and that's really one worth checking out yeah, yeah and then a personal favourite of mine then was when we had Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter a professional wrestling journalist and historian on to tell us the story of big Dano O'Mahony the man whose bronze statue Stands proudly in Ballydehob, the man who took on the world wrestling scene before your Hulk Hogan's, your Rocks, or your Stone Cold Steve Austin's had ever even mm-hmm. crawled, I would say. Dan O'Mahony was the best wrestler, the most famous wrestler in the world, and he came from Ballydehob. So we had Dave Meltzer, the preeminent wrestling journalist of his time, Brilliant to chat. tell us about Dan So if you're into your West Cork sporting history or you ever drive through Ballydehob, as I know a lot of people do on the way to the Mizzen, and you wonder, what on earth is that statue all about? Search Dan O'Mahony podcast on the Star Sport podcast feed and you won't be disappointed and if we have another 200 episodes I'm sure the star here will build their own bronze statues to the two of us in testament to what we've done for West Cork Sports so they might not build it out of bronze they might just build it out of discarded newspapers that's, that, that's what that do that, that'll do if, if it's some sort of monument to, yeah. to, to, the, to the masterpiece that we've created over these last 200 episodes so yeah I'm looking forward to the, the, the newspaper sculpture of, of Jack and Kieran that we were checking out yeah yeah keep an eye out for that one I wouldn't hold 
my breath though anyway let's wrap thanks for listening to the 200th episode of the star sport podcast thanks as well to our producer dylan mangan and to matthew hurley who's been a brilliant contributor over the last few months as well if you enjoy these shows please oh i want to thank as well another uh, former some regular contributors joe mccarty yeah con downing who used to do the rugby coverage mm-hmm. before he retired as star editor dennis hurley any anyone else mick foley as you mentioned mick foley harley sullivan and dermot duggan who yeah. are our two ga experts they've been on jesus countless times over the over the last couple of years chatting about county championships and and even when it, when it comes to cork helping us dissect with the with the cork footballers so we're, we're, we're like you said we're so lucky that we have so many contributors who will come on for a, a, a chat about what's going on in the world and we have so many friends of the show at this stage mm. you know i think we need we need a wall and friends of the show because we need to figure out who yeah, has been on this podcast studio who's been in this podcast more times than anyone else i'm thinking could be phil healy could be the Finton maybe Finton um or the finn has been on a couple of times martine o'brien we've been looking enough to chat to she's one of our, our good guests as well so that's something that if anybody Everybody's wants now, if Matthew's listening now Matthew if you can hear me out there there's something for, for you to work towards for next week the most guested podcast the most guested the most the, the sports people with the most podcast appearances yeah. yeah there we go front page of next week's Southern Star no doubt if you enjoy these shows anyway please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts Slant Tongue